0: Welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. James Bond this week is tied up chasing uh, taxi drivers in Spain. So I'm your fill-in host, James Page from MI6HQ.com and the magazine MI6 Confidential. And this week I am joined by David, Bill, Phil and Joe. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys?
1: Hi, this is David Lee here. I run the James Bond dossier.com. I'm occasionally on Twitter, but not at the moment. And um, I'm also the author of The Complete Guide to the Drinks of James Bond. Hi, I'm Bill Koenig, and I run a blog called The Spy Command.
2: Hey, I'm Phil Nobile, Jr., editor of Fangoria, uh, trying this year for Starlog. We'll see what happens.
3: (laughs) And I'm Joseph Darlington of uh, Being James Bond and the author of Being James Bond, Volume 1. Excellent. So... Uh, There's a lot of
0: musical news happened over the last two weeks um, since we last got together. So I thought we'd tackle all of that first. Off the top, the big thing that hit obviously all the tabloids, because as our Twitter poll kind of suggested, 90%, who's more important, the composer or the title song artist? And, you know, 90% thought the title song for the media's perspective, but the composer in terms of the the fans going forward. Hans Zimmer kind of didn't get much coverage in the press but Billie eilish did so we kind of leaked that news out on the weekend and then they were forced to announce it a couple of days later so what are your guys's hot takes on singer songwriter american singer songwriter billy eilish who's 18 years old doing yeah, the title song
1: well we, we we had this conversation um a bit the, the other the day and my initial reaction is that it, she's a, a weird choice because uh and, and and thinking of it from a marketing point of view rather than an artistic point of view and uh, you know it's uh, the theme song for me I, I think exists to you know put the uh put the film in, in front of a wider audience on on the radio but um so from that point of view for me she's a a really odd choice because uh her fans uh my, my first reaction was that her fans are basically teenage girls Oh, nothing wrong with, with having teenage girl fans, but uh, they're not really uh, into Bond in a big way. And uh, and I, I looked into it a bit, and that, that seems to confirm those are her fans. So there's no real overlap with uh, the kind of core audience for, for Bond. So from, from that point of view, it's, it's an odd choice, but uh, as an artistic choice... Uh, which perhaps it's a purely artistic choice, I, I don't know. I, I think it's uh, she's more interesting than Adele or Sam Smith. I, I'm, I'm really happy that neither of those has been uh, invited back because uh, there's um, – I mean, Frank Zappa said something, right. and it was like, modern music is people who can't think, signing artists who can't write songs to make records for people who can't hear. And both of those kind of fall into that category for me because they're they're so – bland uh it's not true I'd rather that they went for an artist who produces a song that I hate than something I just think the boring boring is the worst reaction you can get
0: yeah to your point about the demographics with the exception of two prima donnas on social media I don't think the choice of title song artists would stop any Bond fan from going to go and see the Bond so in that in that sense is it is it only a win um can it only Um, be a win to bring some new people in who
4: might not necessarily have gone see i suppose it's a win my take not so hot take was for me it was like nothing to get excited or upset about because i i saw some people upset on social media just for me essentially the title song has been kind of decoupled from the film itself it's to me, it's a marketing exercise pretty much. The title song doesn't really get integrated into the score. I get the impression like with the last two movies, they found a spot and it wasn't even necessarily the composer. It was perhaps like a music editor just kind of plopped down an instrumental version of the title song and played it. And okay, well, that checks off that box. And and the orchestration of those instrumentals isn't that much different, if different at all, from what's in the title. Because again, you go back, uh, I don't want to sound like an old fogey, but in the old days, you know, the John Barry era, but also Marvin Hamlish and others, and Bill Conti, um, they would take the title song, they would adjust the tempo, adjust the orchestration, you know, adjust the arrangement, and work it into scenes as needed. And and in the case of Thunderball, John Barry wove in two title songs into a score because they wrote one... (laughs) then they rejected it at the last minute, then they had to do a really hurried up you know, one with Thunderball in the title. And he managed to weave both of them in, like Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. A version of it is in the score where Bond is with Domino at the at the cafe, outdoor cafe in Nassau. Uh, a more up, uh, uh, up-tempo version is in the Death of Fiona track.
2: He does that as well in the Living Daylights, doesn't he, Bill? With the Pretender song that you hear in various versions.
4: i've got some fun trivia about that which we'll circle back to later and it wasn't just barry i mean like I said bill conti weaved for your eyes only the song or arrangements of it into his score marvin hamlish you know nobody does it better worked it into various scenes and in different you know it's and it's like he's like customizing it to the different scenes it's quiet where when it needs to be quiet it's you know Louder where it needs to be louder.
0: I'd say, Bill, the, the probably the the most modern equivalent, modern example of that is probably "Surrender" by David right. Arnold and "Tomorrow Never Dies," right, where he wove that into the the score. And then at the last minute, it got pulled uh, very yeah. like much like Thunderball, right? It, at the last minute, it got pulled for a different song. It actually it actually gives the credits some impact because you've kind of been, the audience has been teased to this melody, the whole film, and then bang, it hits you. And I think that's uh, in the credits, and I think that's why yeah. it works.
4: That and, and the very last time it was done, of course, was Casino Royale, where David Arnold collaborated with Chris Cornell on the song. And thus, you know, it, it's like, you know, when you do it that way then the composer has skin in the game when it comes to the song it's in his interest to work the song in um and it and it just makes it more of a complete whole if you will and to me the title song and this has been going on for quite a while is just kind of tacked on it's it's there it's and it becomes more david was talking about it from a marketing standpoint and uh, yeah it, it 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 becomes more of a marketing thing so Phil,
2: what was your take when you heard the news? I'm going to preface this by saying I had no idea who Billie Eilish was. I'm an old man. I don't listen to pop music anymore. But once I got some context for it, I put me in the column of excited. I think it's interesting that they made this decision that Cronenberg, David Cronenberg, the horror director said something once upon a time about how he saw, he saw all his peers kind of throwing away their title sequences, almost like television, just putting the, the uh, crew cast and crew credits over the opening scene of a film. But Cronenberg saw the title sequence as an opportunity to be a vestibule into the story. Uh, Obviously the most, the most vivid example of that outside of horror to me is the bond films. And, Beyond what the song is going to be, whether it's good or bad, the decision to cast an 18-year-old pop singer who sold the most records of anybody last year as the singer of the new Bond theme is a statement. And there's been a lot of interesting statements so far from this production in terms of, and everything they're saying in terms of that that little sort of sizzle reel they dropped early last summer, I think. The full-on trailer that took the air out of a lot of are they or aren't they bringing back Blofeld stuff, they're making a lot of bold statements in advance of us getting this actual movie telling us that this is not going to be the same old Bond film. And I, I don't know, I'm excited about that. We've got 20 odd same old Bond films and Craig's Run again is, <laughs> Craig's Run has again been about being these outliers. Each one is sort of a weird outlier to the franchise. So I have, no, I have no idea what we're getting, but this to me is another statement of you're not
4: getting the same old thing again. And so I don't know, colored excited. Well and 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 something else is, you know, she's 18 and she's definitely the youngest. But if you look back, you know, in the sixties, you know, at the original Bond Mania period, you know, the the performers were fairly young. You know, Tom Jones was twenty-five. Mm-hmm. Shirley Bassey was twenty-seven when she did Goldfinger, Nancy Sinatra turned twenty-seven, she was probably twenty-six when she sang uh You Only Live Twice. So it's you know it's not like you know it's not like you had these grizzled veterans doing the songs.
0: I think the difference is, Bill. Those songs right. were written for them. Whereas if they're handing creative control over to Billy Eilish and her brother to actually yeah. write the song yeah. too, and her brother's that's, twenty-two, by that's right. a whole different well, and, ball game
4: of what they're you're, kids, right? I'm, I mean, right. right, right. So yeah, I mean uh, the 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 next youngest yeah. um, was Sheena Easton. And she turned 22 the year that uh, Mm. For Your Eyes only came out. So, um, And then what, Sam Smith was like 23 when he did his song, and Adele, I think, was 24, something like that. I I did a post about all this just because I was curious. Nobody mentioned who had been the previous youngest, so I went ahead and looked him up. You know, you know, but when when we were releasing that news, I thought, what's the anchor for this story
0: other than you might not have heard of her? And I was like, oh she looks like she's the youngest. I kind of did some quick math. It's like, yeah, she is. And (laughs) a surprise, surprise, two days later, the official announcement hung their story on the same peg. But I guess it's worth it's worth considering. We're going to get somebody who was what did you say phil she was four years old when craig was in his chase bond <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah she was 11 months old when die another no, day 11 came months
0: out. right
2: <laughs> no that one yeah when uh, pierce's last one came out yeah right. so what is her context for a bond film what 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 is her understanding of what a bond theme is is she did she bone up on all of them or is it just going to be i mean to me sam smith sounded like he had only heard skyfall when he wrote his theme song right so Does she have, uh, is there going to be any history or legacy within this song? Is she capable of that? Or is that even a good thing to want? Maybe maybe we do want something completely different. I'm not sure. We've
4: already had the first, as far as I know, it's the first Billie Eilish, James Bond parody. <laughs> which was right. on the uh, on the Late Show with Stephen Colbert, where they it sounds like they may have like dubbed over bad guy. I, I don't know, but anyway, they they took yeah they took yes. her for, took yeah. her image from a music video where she's in a hoodie and all that, and she punches out some thug looking guy, and you know they adapted one of the ninjas. Yeah, like, like a little, a little <laughs> overweight ninjas. He hasn't missed you know, any since then, but um yeah it was I was you know it was 30 seconds pretty fun I was like I I was amazed at how quickly they put it together but that's that's the beauty of computers I guess
0: I did I did notice Joe that she that in the spoof they say being James Bond so you have a new little clip you can use now I I, I did catch that (laughs) in your podcast
3: (laughs) nice (laughs) yeah
0: so what was what was your feedback joe when when you processed I,
3: uh like a lot of you guys i uh, you know showed my age completely and had no idea who this was uh so i quickly went to youtube and started pu- pu- pulling up some videos and and I listened to it and I kind of was like, you know what? It, this is sort of interestingly something kind of like I would normally listen to, but not quite. Uh, almost like, um, you know, I I was flashing back to some like edgier 90s music that I could remember. P.J. Harvey came to mind and I was like, oh, she's really edgy, but kind of with, with a completely Katy Perry spin. So I thought it was, uh, um, you know, kind of not what I would listen to, but it was fine. My first initial was kind of. Totally tepid, very lukewarm. The more I started hearing other people's reactions, the more I actually kind of changed my tune a little bit because I was listening to Calvin Dyson uh, talk about how he heard some of the younger younger women in the in the office start to perk up when her name came up. And I watched uh, David Juritsky, who was uh, interviewing his 20-something son to, to try to get an impression. And he and- was excited. The sun was very, excited. very excited. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of you know, and the whole thing sort of, again, sort of changed my mindset a bit because I was I, I'd been kind of lamenting in the last few months about how there have not been any James Bond video games. This, you know, over the years used to be a, a full blown vehicle to pull in younger Bond fans. There was there was a whole generation of fans who actually yep. literally discovered the film series through the GoldenEye game. That's right. I kind of yeah. was starting to think in that respect. Now I thought to myself, well, you know what? I, I, I guess there, again, I, there hasn't really been much of an effort to bring in the new generation of fans. Well, I, I guess in a way, this is the response to that possibly. And this is how we're going to get the young folks into a, a James Bond film. So with that in mind, I'm actually pretty excited, not for the actual song itself. Cause again, you know, and again, we've, we've had weird artists that, you know, over the years we've sort of scratched our heads and said they picked who to do a James Bond theme. Like I don't really see the connection at all. And then they end up doing something that's fairly interesting. She could do something interesting. I have heard that her brother is actually a pretty good sized bond fan who I guess she collaborates yes. with. So yep. with that in mind, I mean, it could be something pretty great. And uh, if nothing else, I think it does kind of stir up some interest for the next generation, possibly.
4: As someone who actually saw Live and Let Die in the theater first run, I mean, I remember how big a departure that seemed at the time. And now it's like, you know, considered one of the greatest Bond songs. But, you know, a lot of people were wondering, what's this going to be like? Now, they really promoted that. They had the song done well ahead of the movie because Paul McCartney did a TV special. I want to say it was on NBC, but anyway, on on one of the major U.S. networks. And then as part of the special, oh, I've... I'm doing the music for the next James Bond movie. Well, that was a little bit of an overstatement. But then, you know, they they did the song and they had uh highlights from the movie, you know, on this special. So, and this this was like this was a ways ahead of the movie coming out. But yeah, p- people were wondering what what it was going to be like. The Beatles had broken up, you know, like 3 years earlier, so it wasn't it, it hadn't just happened, but you know, I don't I don't know how established Paul McCartney and Wings had was at that point um but yeah it was it was a big deal and you know it was definitely unlike anything you had seen in a james bond on a program like that
2: did they have memories long enough back then Mm. to recall the the shot that connery had taken at the beatles in goldfinger some nine years earlier
4: (laughs) they somehow forgot to include that in the special (laughs) but uh yeah i mean i remember sitting there i was you know I was, kind of, I was definitely dazzled by the by the titles, you know, because, you know, Maurice Bender obviously adjusted his game to match the title song. Now, what I didn't know at the time, you know, I saw George Martin didn't know a whole lot about him. I didn't realize the history, which I didn't learn until much later, that, you know, George Martin had helped McCartney produce the demo and and also more critically, perhaps, uh, negotiate with Harry Saltzman <laughs> to make sure, you know, it's telling Harry... Uh, either y- you take Paul McCartney or you don't get the song, but uh, this isn't the first time they've done something pretty different. And when I said earlier, I wasn't excited. It's really, when I say that it's not about, you know, the choice of her, I don't really have a basis to judge. I I'm, I definitely would reserve judgment until the song, you know, the song is out. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting move. No question. It's just, it, it's just interesting mostly in marketing for me but
0: Yeah, I think when they announced Adele everybody knew we would get an Adele song. When they announced Sam Smith everybody knew we'd get a Sam Smith song. I think the one that I can go back to in recent years where we didn't know what the hell we would get was when they announced Jack White and Alicia Keys. Right. And I was actually really excited about that because Jack White I mean forget, you know, um, the song itself. If you look at his just artistry and just creativity, I was, I was really excited about it. Alicia Keys is a really freaking good singer usually. So it's like, I was like, wow, this, this could be like a mega, what a great out of the box choice. And then of course, what, they ended up putting out didn't yeah, quite that, that, do that's, it. that's what
1: that's what i was referring to really earlier when i was saying that when i when i was talking about you know getting some I Can't remember i can't remember exactly how i put it but uh if you if you get some artists that are capable of doing something even if they miss at least they gave it a go and i i think that that, that that's that yeah. has a lot going for it even if it doesn't work,
0: I don't know how well documented this is, but Alicia Keys was not happy with that mm-hmm. song that she had to sing, and she, there was a lot of tension on the set when they rec- uh, when they recorded the video. So that wasn't, you know, she wasn't super happy with it either. So um, yeah, that was that was a, an experiment yeah. that went wrong. But I'm glad they tried something no no point, it, you exactly
1: know? Yeah. and uh, just for the record i think joe earlier you said that like everyone else on the podcast you'd never heard of billy eilish i had and i'm i'm i think i'm second most senior member here <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh,
4: i apologize
3: <laughs> and, and,
4: and 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 just one more note i just want to say not all middle-aged guys were rooting for shirley bassey again which is another uh, common right. comment i saw on social media which was a little annoying but so I, I want to mention two things of our friends that aren't on here
0: aj always says something brilliant which is like anything that brings new fans to the franchise can only be a good thing so put that out there um and second our friend mark o'connell actually put something up funny which was in no in 1964 nobody was campaigning for a singer from the 1910s or 1920s to perform the same song. <laughs> so why in 2020 would we want somebody back from the 60s so i think he had a really good point about it.
1: Yeah, but I, I don't think I don't think many people really are asking for no. Shirley Bassey to come back, are they? I mean, I, I know that, that every now and then there's a campaign, but I, I don't really, I, you know, I I don't think they get very much no, traction. It's nostalgia,
0: do they? you know. I mean, I think these are the same people that would like, you know, want to have a CGI Connery back rather than a Daniel Craig movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I'm 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 firmly in middle aged territory, and uh, I don't I don't want Shirley Bassey back.
3: You know I I can sort of understand it because I straddle the fence sometimes and and honestly I, I you, you guys have probably heard the uh the unused track the Trilly you had yeah, done yeah. for Quantum. Yes. Which I thought was actually really good and after I heard it of course I kind of was like oh man I wish they used this because I hate that other song. Uh but again that's that's just sort of me personally and I kind of realized that well yeah you but you can't do that because again you you are missing an opportunity to again bring in new people but that that is so sort of always the conundrum that James Bond is in where you're you're trying to cater to 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 the classic fans and yet trying to bring in new fans you're trying to you know we always say you know I want to see something that's fresh and new and exciting but I want all the tropes of of what the classic James Bond is so it's like well how so how do you do all of that so yeah i, I again in a perfect world i think uh, my selfish answer to that would be I, I wish they did kinda of go back and forth a little bit where sometimes we're fresh and new but sometimes we're kind of pulling back something that's a little classic, but but again you, you can't do everything at the same time. So I, I kinda of concede that it's it's probably not a great move to do something like that to pull to pull back Charlie Macy or anybody, you know, who's got the classic Bond route.
1: I know what we'll do, we'll put four Aston Martins in the film. <laughs> <laughs>
3: All the Aston Martins yeah.
1: Well,
0: according to Aston Martin, it might only be like 3.5 Aston Martins because they said in an interview with CNN that the Valhalla has a cameo. Mm. So uh, the, the shot we see of Nomi pulling up in uh, again, you know, to Craig in the trailer might kind of be it. Mm. We'll,
1: we'll see. Yeah. I don't know why Aston Martin don't just start making these DB5 replicas and flogging those. I think they'd be far more successful than actually trying to. Do all the stuff they do.
0: Make road safe versions of them. Yeah. And then sell them. Yeah. You know.
5: On. The
0: so, switching from Billie Eilish to the news of Hans Zimmer. Taking over. So they've never officially said anything about Dan Roma being hired and fired, except that his name was on the press release a few weeks ago. And now it's disappeared again. So they haven't, they've never come out to say that they parted ways officially. Right. Hans Zimmer got announced to no surprise um, to anybody because uh, it wasn't a very well kept secret. I'll be honest. I I was about as excited as like a McDonald's meal. I mean, I thought this is like middle of the road choice that was safe and it was going to sound the same as all the other Hans Zimmer soundtracks. And you know what you're getting in advance and it's not going to offend anybody. But then we got the news today that Johnny Marr, guitarist from the Smiths, is going to be working on the score with Zimmer, probably doing a rearrangement of the Bond theme. And I'm like, okay, now I'm excited by it. I mean, yeah, you, know, as to, yeah. you know, I'm more excited to hear what Johnny Marr has to do with the well, on the guitar. And um, he happens to, when he's in the states. He lives ten minutes down the road from me.
1: Uh, does he? So, oh, you can get him yeah. on the podcast then.
0: Right. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And the little bit of trivia I teased earlier was, um, after the pretenders recorded the songs for the living daylights, the guitarist of the band, um, forgetting who that was anyway, he quit and then Johnny Marr got parachuted into the pretenders for two years oh. and they went on tour. So Johnny Marr probably performed the two, their two tracks from the living daylights on tour or some of it, uh, for a couple of years. So he has got form on the bond franchise although tangentially
4: well and the johnny marr thing answered a question for me because i was curious okay is it really going to be Hans zimmer or is it going to be Hans zimmer and other people and now a lot of the time Hans zimmer has the main credit and then you have to see the 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 crawl at the end to see who did all the additional music and sometimes it's just one or two guys sometimes it's four or five guys depending on the movie but occasionally he does he shares the main music credit and sometimes it's with, you know, one of his guys at his company, Remote Control Productions. But this was something that kind of came out of left field. I, I, I'm not surprised that he's working with somebody on the score. Um, I don't know how much, we don't know the exact date he was brought in, but it's, I think he was brought in a little kind of late in the process or relatively so. Anyway, that's a new twist on the, on the Hans Zimmer news. It's like, Um, you know, it's just something different.
2: I'll say this about Zimmer. I, I think he's he is responsible for and capable of a lot more variety than we tend to think because uh, I think the Nolanization of uh, big movies has kind of put him in a box where he's gotten kind of reduced to a certain thing. But I did read something that he wrote for, I think, Time Magazine when John Barry passed away. It really sounds like a guy who really loved and respected what Barry right. did. So coming from that point of view, and again, you're going to get nothing from optimism from me until I start hearing reviews, but... Uh, I, 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 I see a guy who's excited to do a Bond score and has maybe been waiting to do one for many, many years. So maybe maybe that's good. Or maybe it's terrible because he in so late. Yeah. You know, he might be hobbled. Who I, I can't say, but I, I right. choose optimism at the moment.
1: I, I wasn't thrilled uh, about him coming on board at all. I, and when there were the rumors that he was going to be doing the score, I was just thinking, God, no, why? But yeah, you you are right about his variety, because sometimes I, I, I watch a film, and at the end I, I watch the – the um the the credits and there he is and it's like ah huh? that didn't sound like uh, my idea of Hans Zimmer at all I can't think of any of the films I'm, I'm thinking of at the moment but every now and then they just pop out so he he is. Yeah, he is capable of, of a bit more than just the the bam, bam, bam
2: action sure. stuff. He did True romance, he did the Lion King.
1: Isn't that an action
3: the film? Lion King,
2: sure.
3: <laughs> I'm I'm totally on the same page. I did the same exact train of thought. basically, I, you know, I instantly went to Batman and Inception, and I was very nervous about the whole Brahms, you know, style of music that's popular now. And and frankly, I was I. My first joke was that uh, when we had Skyfall and Spectre, I said, "Well, we had a Bond composer who was doing his best impression of Hans Zimmer. We might as well get Hans Zimmer <laughs> in here to yeah. do his best impression of a Bond composer." So, but yeah, I, I I kind of did the same thing. Right? I went back and looked at his his broader filmography, and I was like, you know, that he's, he's got a lot more. He's, he's done a lot more work than I think people even realize. Like he's really done a ton of work and a, and a wide variety of work. So yeah, w- with that in mind, I'm. I'm pretty on board with it. At
4: the same time, there's an interesting video on YouTube called the death of melody. And it's from a channel. I think it's called behind the score. Now this particular video was done back in August. So it was well before any of uh, these names surfaced, but, and, and it's, it's not a guy sitting at a desk ranting. It's, it kind of strikes me as, you know, scholarly, you don't hear, you know, you just hear the guy and you don't actually see him at his computer. Like a lot of uh, videos, but, uh, anyway um he was talking about how in general in music not just movie music um melodies have gotten shortened and you go from like long melodies to like a few notes and two of his examples were billy eilish and ann zimmer
1: <laughs> um, and, and,
4: and he was wow. not critical of them he, he was he was very analytical and it was kind of even dispassionate so it, it, it's worth a watch. It's it, Like I said, it's a very analytical, dispassionate video. It's-
3: I also had a very similar thought, and there was a, a lot of people who commented that the, the, the days of going to a film and walking out really excited by it and humming the, the tune, and obviously John Williams comes to mind, where any time you went to see a film that John Williams had scored, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Wars, Superman, you walked out and you were humming the music and that yeah that has certainly got, just completely gone away in fact i remember a couple of years ago born identity was one of my favorite love that film and i loved the music from it i thought the music was great i felt like every time i watched that movie i'm sort of tapping along with the with the uh, with the the beats of the music and i just loved it i thought it was perfect and then i finally got around to buying the soundtrack and i think the first time i put it in my car and played it i was like wow, this is, I I can't even listen to this. This is terrible without without the movie with it. Uh, I mean, it works in the context of the film, yeah, but it's something you can listen to on its own, not at all. So, I, yeah, I, I, I very hard wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying, that it's, yeah, the the music, movie music is not yeah, what it was. But
1: I, I think it, it might also be that filmmaking has, has changed and, you know, you tend to get, you know, many more cuts and everything's much, much faster. So there's no time really for a a melody to develop in the way that it might have done in, you know, say 20, 30 years ago.
4: Right. And and, and that video kind of gets into things like that. It's um, the guy does not rag on either Billie Eilish or Hans Zimmer. They're just cited as examples as uh, as there are other examples in the video of this general trend, uh, both in popular music and uh, movie music.
0: I just wanted to tag along with the Johnny Mar news that for 23 years, we've had the David Arnold arrangement of the James Bond theme used either in the films or to promote the films or in the trailers mm. with Johnny Marr coming on board. We're going to get a new arrangement, of the James Bond theme. I think... As much as I love the David, as,
1: yeah, I think that that might be interesting, yeah, because yeah, he's got he's got he's got quite a distinctive guitar sound as well. Yes. So so uh, see if that uh, translates to the bond. Yeah, thing. as much
0: as I, I love David Dunn's arrangement of it, we've heard it for twenty three years. It's been used on every single trailer, promotion, <laughs> video game, you know, whatever. It's I think it's time for somebody to mix it up.
4: Well also also it's been mm. kind of odd it's like well David we didn't really feel like bringing you back to score the movie but uh that one track from the end of Casino Royale right. keeps, keeps showing up
3: in the mm. last couple of years. I kind of wanted to bring that up too I'm kind of curious if anybody here has some some insights or thoughts but I am kind of wondering why why not David Arnold what why why was why does it feel like that David Arnold was never really on the table Well I think part of it is that Eon
4: has now kind of gone to the theory that directors should select or at least have the first chance at selecting the composer you know because the whole reason thomas newman came aboard for the last two is because sam mendes was was directing it yeah and you
0: can throw production designer in that list as well
4: yeah and uh and dan romer had been a carrie fukunaga guy um now apparently something happened where it's like well we're moving on dan but uh, well, but I can, tell, I can tell you Robert. what happened.
0: His score was way out there, and it's too experimental. That's the feedback we got. Right. Mm. Which you know, given the other choices of this film, you'd think, all right, let's give it a go. But apparently, it was it was a little bit too too far out there. So to your point, Bill, I think composer, cinematographer, and production designer are the three people below the director that have the most artist, artistic impact on the film. Right. And the selection of those has kind of been first refusal director in the right. last since. Yeah, quantum although casino you could kind of argue but peter lamont kind of got thrust upon uh, martin campbell in a good way and campbell met with him and then you know they decided to move ahead and he, he loved the, what he was doing on it but he didn't get to choose that one so i think quantum was the first time where they just said you know what you get to pickle through
4: back in the day you know it was like eon had like their in-house cinematographer and their in-house composer and Oh, you switch directors? Well, fine. But these other guys are s- still still there. In terms of cinematographer, it was the first director to want someone different was uh, Lewis Gilbert on *You Only Live Twice*, because he wanted Freddie Young. But of course, Barry was still there. John Barry was still there, and um, and Canada, and then with *Majesties*, uh, Michael Reed was a Peter Hunt choice, um, but you still had John Barry, and. You didn't have Ken Adam, but uh, only through but availability. Hit, I mean that, <laughs> you know. Well, and uh, and Sid Kane, of course, was it was an Eon veteran who had worked under uh, Ken Adam. So, I mean, it wasn't you know, it wasn't like he was a rookie when it came to the series at all. Right. But but it, to, anyway, to answer Joe's question, I think they have evolved.
3: Well, it, you know, you you're bringing up a larger question, was I which I also find very interesting. That um, for Eon, a company that is sort of notorious or has been notorious for. For you know, holding pretty tight creative control, they they seem to be relinquishing more and more. Along with whatever director they choose, if the director wants to bring in his crew, they seem to go along with that, and that's fine. Um, in
2: fits and starts, I would say that's true. For, Forster swapped out Kleinman for the title sequence, and then he was, and then Kleinman was back for Skyfall. I wonder if the directors just sort of default to the producers for certain decisions in terms of that, or if it's just personalities meshing or. But then on the other hand, you know, throwing Danny, Danny Boyle out the window because it wasn't going the way the producers wanted.
3: And, and honestly, I, I I think the reason why, you know, David Arnold, is stu- I feel like I'm sort of stuck on this. But, um, I, you know, I, I kind of felt like, well, yeah, I guess we're not going to have David Arnold back for a while because the directors will choose. But but once once Romer was out, I kind of obviously sort of perked up and thought, well, maybe they'll go back to David Arnold now. And then when they picked Hans Zimmer, Honestly, I felt like, well, now I'm really confused I sort of feel like like if you're going to go with a big-name composer like Hans Zimmer, like it's almost like you're just kind of starting from scratch and David Arnold's name just never came back to the middle. like Like you said, Kleinman came back after Quantum. I'll give you another good like, example like,
0: on this very film, God. which was when Danny Boyle left and John Hodge left. They brought Purvis and Wade back, right? Safe pair of hands, you know? So yeah. analogous to that. We, you know, out there, mm. choice for composer doesn't work out. Go back to what you know works, but they didn't. Yeah,
1: maybe maybe it's uh, Fukunaga had a, a strong opinion that he wanted uh, Zimmer rather than bringing back uh, uh, tried and tested David Arnold. I don't know.
0: Well, you know, one factor we have not mentioned, mm. which is mm. Daniel Craig. There's some things I still mm. wanted to do. Position on doing a fifth film. It could have been him. It could have been him. Did
2: I hear that David Arnold was busy, busy working on the rhythm section anyway? Or is that not true?
0: The, the, the news we got, he was doing some last minute kind of musical arranging mm-hmm. on that that film. In, post-produ- in post-production, which has been in post-production for about nice. a year because it was supposed to come out a year ago. So they keep tinkering with it. And like a watercolor painting, it's like <laughs> you've got to know when to stop. And I think that the rhythm section has just been tinkered and tinkered and tinkered and tinkered. God knows what it's going to look like when it comes out.
4: Well, well and, and also the Hans Zimmer crew doing the music for that. Uh, Zimmer oh, is yeah. listed as executive music producer, and one of his guys from remote control production did the score. So they already had some experience with the Zimmer group uh, and to a, at least a degree with Zimmer. So maybe that played a factor as well.
3: And that's interesting, too, because when I realized that he was, that David Arnold was working on the rhythm section, I thought, well, he's obviously in good standing. I mean, they're they're He's down the hall. They, they obviously get along. <laughs> right. I mean, they, they, they get along and they're still working together. So, well, yeah, why not? I mean, And, and I, I thought the rhythm section was pretty much almost out. So I, I figured the score had to right. be done by now. but uh, what
1: else? With, with David Arnold, I know that he, he's said several times that uh, if they ever ask him to do another one, then he, he's open to doing another one. So, yeah, they're clearly it's on good point, terms. Bill, still, when you yeah. called
0: him former James Bond composer and took stick on social media for saying it, I think this example has probably cemented
4: that a little bit. Well, you know, it's been... 2008, so it'll be 12 yes. years, or 11 and a half. So you know it's kind of you know un- until until things change, until they bring him back, whenever that will be. Former James Bond composer. That's and by the way, there's no shame in that. You know, there's lots of people who are former James Bond composers.
1: I, I've just thought of the perfect tweet for you, Bill. It's a uh, former James Bond composer in uh aston martin <laughs> db5 replica
0: yeah s- selling cashmere sweaters <laughs>
1: yeah yeah <laughs> then yeah, uh, that's the, that's the point to go off twitter oh, let's not couple forget of
0: weeks. arnold arnold did score the npl commercial so he did do something bondy in the last year but um i'll be honest when i heard it i thought it sounded like johnny english rather than a bond thing but then they couldn't do it too close to bond could they so any final thoughts on the music before we move on to other news other than i hope we don't get spoilers in the soundtrack listing because that Uh, just drives people well
1: actually actually that's interesting Mm. for for skyfall music engineer or, or, or whatever he was he was on twitter and he was quite active and i was in contact with him i mentioned that you know, it's quite a good idea not to put any spoilers on the soundtrack, you know, like the death of M or something like that. And he said, actually, good point. And he took it to the composer and the composer agreed to doing that.
4: <laughs> All right. Thank you, David. <laughs> so,
0: you know, so
1: uh,
4: hopefully there won't be a track death of Safin, but, uh, right. <laughs> or even worse death of <laughs> no, that, that's a joke. That's not a prediction or, being, or it'd be uh just, no me no me's demotion <laughs>
5: Ooh, track, 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 track
0: 23 <laughs> <laughs> no, <me too. laughs> all right i thought bill seeing that you kind of and david you wrapped you covered this story better than i did um because I, I have some views on this, but Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli gave an interview to, to Variety like a, a month ago. I'm assuming they did it during the uh, trailer launch when they are in New York. Uh, the timeline kind of fits for that. Um, and Variety held off on it for some, whatever reason. Um, and they chatted about the state and future of the franchise. What were the standout things for you guys?
1: Um, well, one of the standouts was that there was a... a a bond at Eton property proposed
4: a prequel series they called it a smallville series. yeah
1: yeah and uh you you immediately think of you know young James Bond and so on because that that takes place during that kind of timeline so the the big question is who proposed it what happened to that and uh you know why why was it proposed why why did they say no well i, I, I you can guess why they said no but uh, th- there are a load of questions around that which would have been nice to have answered
4: it was it was a throwaway line in the store. and it's like well yes like david said who who proposed it probably mgm but also thought occurred to me is if they had done a young bond tv show now does that cause a problem with in fleming publications particularly if you try to no not go anymore. around them not anymore okay because it would just seem like that seems awful close to what the young bond series of novels was supposed to be like well you know the other thing there was another story in sometime in the last month where they said something it was like barbara broccoli saying don't like spinoffs, and, but didn't say any more. And so so then here was another nugget. That was two that days after Naomi like... Harris
0: was floating her balloon. <laughs>
4: yeah, it? yeah. There seemed to be a whole lot of questions Variety didn't appear to ask, or if they asked, <laughs> they didn't bother to it. Maybe they got lack of answers, so they decided not to bring it up in the story. I don't know. But, I mean, basically, the writer seemed to be acting like the status quo is like, going to continue forever in a day and right. it's like i don't know do you guys have some kind of succession plan i mean that's a to me a very legitimate question and maybe they don't want to answer it and that's fine but to at least kind of mention the situation in passing in the story if nothing else
0: i found the story oddly framed because a variety a trade newspaper framed it as eon rights controller of the james bond franchise no that's not yeah <laughs> barbara and michael run dan jack an Oni on productions, right? So they even got right. the central premise of the story was also inaccurate, which is weird for Variety. to For Variety to get that wrong and also to go through the editor and make it to the cover story with that error was kind of
4: like, whoops. It, it, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me basically, um, it, it seemed very similar in tone to the recent Empire magazine story. Basically, Empire, at least this is my conclusion based on reading some of their stories, you know, it's it, a lot of it's about access if they don't get access, they can't get photos. If they don't get photos, then they, they their story loses a lot of their oomph. And it kind of – it covers a lot of things but kind of you know an inch deep. Variety was billing its story as an in-depth interview, and it just struck me, no, it's more of a long interview. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, strike yeah. me as particularly in-depth. Um,
0: I mean, if you cut out the waffle of the interview that the writer just adds in, it's actually not very long at all.
4: And we, we get Barbara Broccoli again saying she's in denial about uh, Daniel Craig leaving, which is like almost word for word what she told The Hollywood Reporter in December of 2017 when she did an hour-long interview for one of their podcasts. You know, I mean, there's, like, there's a lot of nuggets there, but it didn't strike me as a uh, terribly substantial story.
0: I think the thing that stuck out on the way it was kind of re-quoted on, uh, in yeah. the media was, James Bond will yeah. never be played by a woman. <laughs> right. <laughs> was the thing that everybody latched on to.
4: Um, but, and- but she said that before. I yes. I know, no, it's not past. new. It's not uh, new. It's not new. Yeah, so, so <laughs> you know, she's in denial about Daniel Craig leaving James Bond will never be a woman, and like, okay, any other greatest hits you want me to put in my article, Miss Broccoli? Um,
0: I, like, I like that Michael no. G. Wilson slipped in the mention of the Commonwealth. I mean, I don't know even know what
4: that means anymore. <laughs> also, <laughs> also it, it struck me as like Michael G. Wilson wasn't doing very much of the talking because like 90% of the quotes are from her.
1: Yeah, I know. It, it, it's like it was his, his siesta time, so he was just slumped on a sofa during most of it, just gently <laughs> snoring. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from that, there was a comment on Danny Boyle leaving, which yeah. is you know, that they they saw eye to eye for a, for a while, and then they didn't. And well, they saw, saw eye to eye. They,
0: they saw eye to eye long enough to build sets for it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I I, uh, I mean, I, I I don't quite buy into the the explanation that was there, but you don't really expect it to give uh, an accurate account of it anyway. But I, I think the there was one thing uh one tiny thing about uh No Time to Die which is Ana de Armas plays a CIA agent and I I'm not I'm not sure that we knew that already.
0: yes uh, I- yeah she yeah, she, met, she mentioned that in a Hollywood Reporter interview when they said the role okay, was created right, the role yeah. was the role was created for her which leads me to suspect that that might have been Felix in the first draft.
1: Uh, okay I I didn't read I didn't read that. <laughs>
4: And Felix was in a dress and kicked a guy? Wow, that was
1: Phil, <laughs> it's
0: it's twenty twenty now. You know, if, he, if Felix wants to wear a dress. I, I, I don't I, I don't think we're gonna see any variation on their responses to the same questions. No. Because Empire had similar questions. And by the way, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Empire Magazine, because we've had some pop you lately, but they looked like emailed response answers in Empire Magazine. It didn't look like a, an actual interview interview, um, the way it was written. They're going to get posed the same questions, and it seems to me that they have their playbook worked out for how they're going to respond to
4: right. all these things. So I don't think yes. see anything new from them well well this is what we're we're going to see we're going to see yes this is bond it's we're adjusting to the me too era which is essentially a new way of doing the old trope about bond women are better than the old bond women um, she's his
2: equal this time right again
4: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah phoebe waller bridge she's great uh, uh, what's okay scott scott who um, never heard of him. Do <laughs> you guys have any thoughts about why he's not even mentioned in that article, Scott Burns? Well, obviously, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a hot property. She just she just got some Golden Globes, mm-hmm. you know, to add to uh, her uh, expanding shelf of awards. You know, Scott Burns is an accomplished screenwriter, but you know he doesn't. You know he he's not a multimedia personality right. like Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and I think it's you know the stars have aligned so that you know phoebe waller bridge is going to be a big talking point oh and 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 then the final point daniel craig is the bestest james bond there ever was okay <laughs> because you know carrie <laughs> fukunaga oh he's my favorite james bond uh you know all the actors you give me an idea but we should do no time today interview bingo cards <laughs> yes, please, please yes. <laughs> and, but but going to your point james yes i think i think they're locked down now on the talking points and i predicted a couple of them have, about a month or two ago and then i think i've kind of been it's i think it's been borne out Yeah, you know, this is probably what we're gonna we're gonna get now yeah
1: it'll be uh, hey purvis wade your next job is these are the answers to w- any question that we're going to get asked but you need to rewrite them so we can uh give them to each publication <laughs> I,
2: have, I have a purvis and wade question for you gentlemen because i think you know this stuff better than anyone else if you remember the timeline purvis and wade had written a script and then they hired boyle and then it was, they'd said they were going to put that script yeah. aside, right? So then yeah, they yeah, yeah. Right. left and everyone was wondering, are they going to go back to the yeah, script right. Purvis and Wade had already done? But in this Hollywood, in this variety piece, they say Purvis and Wade were tapped to write an entirely new script with Fukunaga. So is that, is that your understanding? So there's an unused Purvis and Wade drift pre-boiled that is not even being referenced here?
4: To quote an old Don Adams routine, I find that pretty hard to yeah. believe. he don't throw anything sure. away,
0: right? There's yeah. bits and pieces one that will come out but i would say there's no way they started with a blank page and
2: right. and, and, especially with inspector too that there was a story about well whatever you do make sure a helicopter crashes into the bridge because we built that yeah. already right
4: right and and you know if you look at because i have had the chance to look at Maybaum's 1961 draft for thunderball which was written before they had even cast bond to the 1965 script there's a ton of similarities i mean there's a lot of stuff that Maybob was able to move over from one script to the other so it wasn't like you know they he you know they started from scratch in thunderball and 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 i sort of like imagine you know eon has this like you know treasure you know figuratively it's like this big chest of Screenplay bits. It's like, oh, let me reach in. Oh, here's a set piece we could get. Like, move it over. (laughs) Like, oh, here's a here's a I don't don't uh, think
0: Overton Way sat down with a blank piece of paper said, "You know what we should do? We should go to Cuba." (laughs) (laughs) The locations and the stuff were already kind of like signed up and locked in before Boyle got the push. So.
1: But I, I, I reckon when, the, when they uh, start a new Bond film, they've got a checklist. And it's like, it's a, number one, it's, it's like, wake up, uh, Michael. And be number two, dust off, <laughs> dust off Q's lab, dust off M's, uh, M's office. Number three, build new casino set. Number four, hire writers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you missed, well, you missed it, one it, out, it, which it.
0: was find where the tax breaks are for, for, for foreign location shit. <laughs> right because right. that's now an integral part of the business is finding yeah. cost-effective so, yeah. places that are interesting to film at i mean it's you know they've done uh, you know i was going to say they've done really good work on it and then i realized that we're going to italy for the fourth time
4: well well and just to round out what the purvis and wade timeline was okay daily mail reports in march of 2017 they've been hired their hiring is confirmed in july of 17 that's the one where they put out the release date they mentioned the purpose and way to writing it, but they haven't put in Daniel Craig yet. And then they were apparently still working on it at the end of 2017 because in that, you know, again, Barbara Broccoli did that Hollywood Reporter podcast interview, and she said, Oh yeah, they're hard at work trying to come up with something great. And uh and then it was sometime after January one of twenty eighteen that Boyle enters the picture. And suddenly it's like this great idea, and now it's like a competition between scripts depending on what hodge actually does writing it up in full script form and then and then in may of 2018 they announce you know with a script by john hodge no mention of purvis and wade and Boyle's directing and then august of 18 oh goodbye danny bye and they they never actually put an announcement oh purvis and wade are back but uh Obviously, they rejoined the team sometime after that. Well, they never left,
0: which is the other way of looking at it. So, I don't know if that answers your question, Phil. I think, uh, I think the way of looking at it is as as David or Bill said. It's like you stick your arms in the box, pull things out, glue them together in a different order, maybe. <laughs> yeah.
1: Tom Fo- Tom Ford's got a new range mm. of clothes. Can you uh, can you write some narrative around that, please? Well, let's hope that's <laughs> not <happening>. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Well, well oh, either sure. that or think of it as like Legos. Yeah. It's like, oh, here's a bunch of Legos. We can snap these. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's like, Michael, Michael, we need to make a new advert for Aston Martin and Tom Ford. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, speaking speaking of Do- Aston Martin and bullets dodged, um, you know, there was a decision at the last minute to get rid of the electric Aston Martin and use the Valhalla instead. It's like, that turned out well didn't it because they're not going to make the electric acid mine anymore
4: right right they, there's a and, I, and it's not even an announcement i think someone reported with sources that okay uh, that's now going to be the basis of uh, our future electrified efforts and like what um yeah i think so I, th- I think it
1: was the wrong car to go for anyway because the the rapid is, is a, a four-door door car I, and i I drove the I, I drove right. the, the petrol engine one back in in June, and you know you think uh, if you're going to buy an Aston Martin, if you've got that much money, really, well, me, I'm not going to buy a four door. Uh, no, I don't care. I don't care if I, if uh, there's room for the shopping or the dog. Uh, that's not right. why you buy an Aston Martin. So you don't buy a four door for to put the kids in the back. So it kind of doesn't make any sense for me anyway. <laughs> I, I don't have any kids, so that's sorted, but uh,
4: I do have a well, well, we'll see when the Aston Martin SUV comes <laughs> out.
1: That's right.
4: Which, you know,
0: that was the working title of the first episode of this podcast, and then they went and made one, which is <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Um, the other story that came out this week was – and, Bill, you took up an old tweet today of somebody hinting at this like, when, like a couple months ago that uh, – the runtime from Universal Pictures Russia through their chain was two hours, 54 minutes.
4: Right. Which is like, well, uh, let me, let me wind it back just a little bit. So apparently on December 4th, and I discovered this overnight because there was like some film editor guy, but you know, he doesn't post under his real name and he says he's a film editor. He said he like retweeted his, his post from December 4th about this, about, it could be the longest ever. No no specific time, but just no time to die could be the longest one. Um, and then as it turns out, to, I didn't know about it at the time, but I heard a rumor that it could be three hours. It was coming from someone I didn't trust. I didn't do anything with that. But I thought, you know, maybe I could just raise the question. So in December, I did do a post Basically, you know, uh, one of the formats I do is Bond twenty five questions, and it's usually a theme. This was just miscellaneous questions, <laughs> and I said, you know, how long's the movie going to be? And you know, Craig movies trend longer, with the notable exception of Quantum of Solace. So, if they hold to that pattern, it won't be won't be a short movie. But like, how long will it be? And I said two and a half hours, and then I put three hours <laughs> in italic question mark, and you know, because it was because again. I wasn't claiming to report it. I was just like I just wanted to raise the question, is this even possible? And so then this week suddenly this thing surfaces that's supposed to be on this Russian website from Universal about just shy of 3 hours. And I still haven't written anything about it because I'm just like I it's very murky, but I have but I did go back and look at the at the clapper boards we don't have that many compared to the last two movies but we have a few and there is like uh a picture of some production assistant with a clapper board with scene 253 um and like i guess 207 was like the last scene of casino royale because there was a story there was a story on a fan site that was claiming bond 25 26 were gonna film back to back and their evidence was like based on the clapper boards which Made no sense. But then I thought about that. What if the clapper boards indicated an even longer no time right. to die? But again, it's, I'm not going to like go out on that limb.
1: I don't like this this trend of longer and longer films. I, I think the last Blade Runner or, or the the recent Blade Runner film was like two hours forty minutes, and it's like, come on, you could cut half an hour out of that, please. And you know, and the the prospect of you know, as much as I, I love Bond, I remember at the Spectre. Premiere at about the two-hour mark, a lot of people started making a move to the bathroom. So if this film's going to be closer to three hours, that's that's going to be a problem. So don't have somebody
0: somebody tweeted. It's like when when the Specter base blows up in in Inspector. A lot of people started reaching for their
4: jackets, thinking it was the end of the film. Well, and (laughs) and and just to be clear, okay, there are some great movies that are long. And like last year, for the first time ever, I saw Lawrence of Arabia in a movie theater. It was like this special limited deal. But at least they had the decency of having a 15-minute intermission for you to go to the bathroom.
1: Yeah. Do you know I remember when when we saw that on television years and years ago. I, I guess it was in the 70s. And my dad said, at the cinema, halfway through, there was a break at the cinema. So, yeah, if if they have a if they have a break, then there's sure, not going to be a break.
4: I no, that. I mean, Avengers Endgame didn't have an intermission. As I remember a story, this movie has got could be three hours. Will they have an intermission? And, well, we'll think about it. And I said, uh, no, uh, <laughs> they didn't.
3: I'm kind of weird in that respect. I kind of like the longer ones. I sort of feel like, you know, when they have a little more of an epic feel as opposed to some of them that seem like they happen over 48 hours or so. I, I don't mind a little length in my movie right. as long as it's good. You know, I I sat through The Irishman this year and kind of loved it. Was sort of mm-hmm. hanging on every frame, and mm-hmm. I also saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I was looking at my watch at around two fifteen or so. Right.
0: The one I always think back to is Doctor Shivago Like, what's that over three hours, right? Three and a quarter, something like that. And but you think about what they cover in that three hours and change. It's like I I I can see why some people thought if they're filming enough for three hours of Bond, that's two movies. Because you're at the point where now it's like it's not a three act structure anymore at that duration, is it? I mean, you could say Spectre was like three and a half acts, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. It's because it's like Spectre; it didn't really know when to end, and that was one of the problems with it. If if it if they'd sorted out the third act a bit better uh, i think it would have been a much stronger film you know and ditched all the you mm. know all the uh, foster brothers stuff as well but
3: i wonder if they're running into a uh, rise of skywalker issues where because of where we left off with specter there's a lot of establishing that needs to happen in the beginning of this one to sort of establish or reestablish or rewrite some of the oh, things that happened they've in the got past to
0: establish Nomi as a new double o they've got to get Past her not trusting Bond and Bond not trusting her, then they've got to team up. Then they've got to go together to defeat the villain. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that they wouldn't have to do in a regular Bond movie.
3: Plus the whole. I mean, I wonder if they're going to kind of go back and sort of re try to reestablish the Blofeld Spectre thing. Because I mean, I th- th- we've we've kind of had sort of stumbling blocks leading up to oh, Spectre was the 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 mastermind behind the entire thing. So I wonder if they're going to kind of do a little little retconning about that, or or just. Clarifying
2: you for, know, for the theme singer who was twelve when the Spectre
4: One other thing I wonder It was just old enough to see it. Yeah. Well, one thing I wonder <laughs> is like when they were uh reevaluating Quantum of Solace after it was done, they concluded, nah, that was too short. We're gonna <laughs> we've gotta go longer. And it's like well, that was that
0: was that was Mark Forster's mo going right. in, which is he wanted a short film, and it was like what a minute longer than Doctor No or something. I mean, it was pretty tight. I think it was less than Doctor uh, No. I think
4: it was it, it was no, it was It really was, was one hundred and six no. minutes. Yeah. Um, I I think I think Doctor No might have been a hundred or so, but uh, uh, and it was one hundred six minutes with the long crawl at the end of the um, end credits. So so probably in terms of well, that's
0: the that's the other thing that's the other thing I wanted to bring up that 254 does it include the 5 minute credit sequence at the end because we know it's going to be 5 minutes Right for the, Well in
4: Avengers Endgame which was 3 hours and 1 minute or 3 hours and 2 whatever it had a 5 minute thing so yeah I mean
1: yeah, maybe it's the, the the last half an hour is credits because <laughs> they've, they've got <laughs> they've got they've got the the team in Italy. They've got the team in Jamaica. They've got I don't know. They, m- maybe they've got multiple teams in the UK because of Danny Boyle and then Danny Boyle leaving, and so they've got to split that.
0: <laughs> the Norwe the Norwegian crew, uh, the Nor- Nor- yeah,
1: Norwegian crew. Yeah. Don't forget
0: the caterers. Um- <laughs> <laughs> head chef assistant head chef <laughs> but, but it's just and thanks to all the electricians yeah. right <laughs> they never get name checked those guys no. what yeah. phil what's your take on the state of the movie industry and like long ass movies goodness
2: so last year was brutal end game took forever to get through um i watched the irishman in the theater and I couldn't imagine doing that again. Uh, I, I enjoyed it for what it was, but it, it was – I think the creators are starting to create content knowing that it's going to be absorbed on streaming. And I think that, that the theatrical experience is no longer being prioritized.
4: Well, and also Tarantino is talking about a 4 hours director's cut be shown on streaming of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Is he going to ep- turn it into episodes the way he did um, uh, the Hateful Eight? I don't know. I keep wondering if uh, Leonardo DiCaprio will get a death scene in that FBI episode they showed in the uh, movie <laughs> because like, I actually have a website devoted to the FBI TV show. And of course, when I so- <laughs> stopped in the tracks,
2: Bill, and just chose the whole FBI episode with Leonardo DiCaprio. That's
4: right. Yeah, <laughs> because I I don't know if you all know this, but see, Burt Reynolds was the guy that they took out and put Leonardo DiCaprio in and originally right. Burt Reynolds was supposed to be in the movie in the uh, Bruce Stern role. Then of course <laughs> he died of a heart attack and that all changed. So that would have been like,
2: I think, I think the film takes place in a universe where Burt Reynolds never happened.
4: <laughs> seemingly, seemingly.
2: <laughs> um, yeah. I, I saw Tarantino, Tarantino embracing streaming and, and recutting his movies is disheartening to me. So I don't know, but I think I think we're all moving toward a space where theatrical is going to be less and less of the priority. Sadly,
1: yeah. in fact, uh, going back to the interview with Barbara Broccoli and, and Michael G. Wilson, they they did also talk about, or they touched upon, streaming as as well. Uh, I guess that's still worth mentioning. That uh, Broccoli said that immediately, in the immediate future, Bond is going to be on the big screen, but uh, uh, just have to wait and see what happens in the future. Because, you know... She, she, and- yeah, to mm-hmm. your
0: point, David, going back to that interview, they said it'll be audiences that decide the format of Bond's yeah. future release. Bollocks. Yeah. It'll be who owns it. They decide they decide so if it, right. if, if
1: it yeah no no i i i think she's i think she's she's right because you know it, the, whoever owns it could say oh yeah we're, we're only going to do big screen but if that's not what people want anymore then they're, they're going to be forced to change so in that respect she, she's spot on
0: i would argue that the owners is the if the owner is anybody that has a streaming service she could we can wave goodbye to the focus on it being a theatrical release
1: i see what you mean yeah yeah sorry I, I, yeah, yeah she, yeah, she yeah. was such
2: yeah i think barbara meant a larger sense that the whole industry is going right. that
0: way yeah okay yeah if you put it in that context that makes sense across a long enough timeline the audience decides that theaters aren't a thing anymore yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right so strategies for getting through a three-hour movie
3: yeah i was gonna uh, say snapple bottles come in oh, handy. Geez, david don't
0: don't don't intake many liquids prior to the
1: yeah, carry an empty bottle. <laughs> uh,
2: be be prepared to hold it. Those gentlemen, you guys are emptying into Snapple bottles. Good grief!
4: Yeah, um, no. I, when I when I saw when I saw Avengers Endgame, I ended up holding it. I really had to go <laughs> when it was over, but mm. I i i've gotten really good at determining when the shoe leather of the plot is
2: going to happen i'm like okay there's a major narrative beat and now they're going to spend 20 minutes coming down from that i i got i got two minutes to run out
0: i can tell you i remember that we went to the casino real press screening um a couple days before the premiere and it was the bit where uh yeah we'd had a couple of cocktails beforehand and it was the bit where uh, Valenka goes to make poisonous drink yeah i was like oh this is going to (laughs) take couple minutes <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> I, I,
0: I came back to the start of the car chase <laughs> oh god so, oops so i still had something to look forward to the premiere um but in all seriousness um if, if the film's three hours it's going to reduce the number of showings that a theater can schedule and therefore it might actually impede well, digital you
4: can just run it to a couple of different rooms at this point avengers endgame worked because disney had the leverage on theaters you will show it in this percentage of your Theaters during the first two weeks or whatever, you will show it in your best theater for four weeks, uh, stuff like that. So with these giant multiplexes, of course, it can be on more screens. That that takes away from that concern somewhat. But MGM, of course, doesn't have the leverage right. that Disney has on
1: theaters. So it's gonna be market driven, we'll basically.
0: See. How many screens this is on?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I had a yeah. thought about uh, all the the scene numbers that the, on, on the clapperboards, by the way. And I, I, I had I had the first thought about it months ago, and uh, it's that, yeah. Although the clapperboard numbers go high, it's also possible that they they thought, well, rather than having numbers in sequence, why don't we mix things up a bit? If people see the clapperboards, they can't even put them in in the right order for the film.
0: No, because uh, we, we've we've kind of got the structure and the numbers, and no, they're, they they are accurate. They're pretty accurate. That's not to say in post they can't move some things around. I mean, they they did that in other films. They move scenes order. I mean, From Russia with Love is like the gold plated <laughs> example of how to re edit a film after you've shot it. right? They could do it, but no, I yeah. I, I like the idea of just like to mess with everybody because for the last two films we've all been piecing together the scene order from the clapperboards. But yeah,
1: that, that that's what triggered it. Yeah.
4: Yeah, but they just ended up just showing less of them versus... I had an exchange with someone on Twitter about this. They were kind of raising this a similar question. And I said, well, there's no direct uh, correlation between scenes and how long they last because scenes can vary in length. Just, But as a rule of thumb, if there's more scenes, it's probably going to be longer. You just don't know right. exactly how many. But on the other hand, if they've got 50 more scenes than they had in Casino Royale, that would be kind of substantial or or has certainly the potential to be substantial
0: but the other news i think that's kind of gone um unreported uh generally is like the u.s release date got pushed back two days and nobody kind of picked it up so it's the 10th te-
4: i got into that with some people because they had last mentioned the u.s release date in a press release like in august i think the same release is when they you know you know, released the title, no time to die. And then I kept seeing April 10th and it's like, when did they change this? And then somebody tweeted at me me, Oh, it's in electronic press kits. Uh, and then finally with the Zimmer press yeah. release, finally they acknowledged <laughs> that they had pushed it back. And of course there's no explanation. They just put in the new date. Um, I don't know if this has any, uh, significance. My, I guess, uh, April 8th is the first day of Passover. Uh, Oh, it's a Wednesday? I don't know if that has anything to do with it, or they just decide to go with a more this conventional Wednesday release doesn't count to that
0: weekend's box office, though, does it? So
4: you're going to lose no, all doesn't. the
0: first-time viewers out of your numbers for the first week. So from a reporting standpoint, Thursday night makes more sense.
4: Right. So so the real release date is Thursday, April 9th, the, the quote preview showings, but those yeah. get folded into the Friday figures.
0: All right, guys, I think that was all the news that's fit to print Um, and some of it that wasn't um, for this week. I'd like to... One of our Twitter followers, uh, she's an unsigned artist, put out her version of a No Time To Die song, so I thought we'd play out on that tonight, give a little bit of publicity to somebody. Um, Mix up a bit because we've been using Boy George quite a bit the last few weeks. um this might be the last chance we get to do something different because um i think that track from billy eilish is probably going to drop at the end of uh won well, in a few weeks time anyway probably mid-february i'd imagine so all right so with that um stay tuned for news next week but in the meantime thanks bill phil joe david for joining us again and we'll see you next time